0: Welcome to Just a GP. My name is Ashley Broomfield and I have my co-host with me, Charlotte Hesby. And our guest today is Meredith McVee from the Medical Benevolence Society. Welcome on the podcast, Meredith. Thank you. So we normally start with a, a highlight of the week. Did you want to share one to begin with, Charlotte?
1: I'd love to share one, Ash. So I was sort of thinking about what highlight I'd talk about. And today I actually thought I'd share one of my running highlights. As many people might know, one of the things that I do for my well-being is to go running regularly. Um, and I usually go running early in the morning. And that's actually one of the things I just love because you get the day when it's fresh and beautiful and there's not that many people out and about. And on Last Sunday, I went for a run with my two dogs. I don't usually run with my two dogs, but I usually try and take them at least once a week. And I headed out with them, did a completely different route from what I normally did. And I just took a different approach to what I... I'll often run with a podcast, but I actually decided to run mindfully. And it was just the most beautiful, beautiful morning. The sunrise was amazing. I... Got to run down by the bay, which is in Sydney, around Sydney Harbour, and just the leaves, the colours of the sky, the sounds of the birds, and just, I don't know, it was just really, really nice. And it just made me appreciate how lucky I am to just be able to be in that position to just be able to go and run and to appreciate the beauty of where I live and um, what I can, you know, appreciate the morning. Mm,
0: that sounds beautiful.
2: That's lovely.
0: It's nice when you kind of focus outwards in in moments like that, rather than you know more thinking and, and processing of of podcasts. So I, I I've been doing a little bit of that lately as well, not taking the music, but because I normally quite enjoy running to music, and it's a completely different experience, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it's nice to just, as you say, just actually absorb what's going on around you in a different way.
0: Mm. Meredith, what was your highlight this week?
2: Look, my highlight was probably not quite as dramatic as as running by the harbour, but I went into um, Vivid at Taronga Zoo and, and it was just lovely. And I think the um, it wasn't crowded, which was beautiful. The lights were amazing and, and it's a real different sort of sensory experience I guess I find myself thinking and talking and listening a lot and um, it was wonderful to um, to be there to be in the dark but be surrounded by all the lovely lights and then to be able to view the city and the lights changing in the city so it was it was a really lovely experience yeah
0: and we've just been joined by Sarah Foster from the Doctors Health Advisory Service, who is having a few little technical difficulties, but uh, we're very happy that she's been able to now join us pretty much right at the start of the episode. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. What was your highlight of your week this week?
3: Well, I was going to say that the highlight of my week was that I broke my ankle four weeks ago and I've just been able to take my boot off, but I'm just going to change my highlight and say it is amazing friends and neighbours who've rescued me uh, when I had technical difficulties, so that's my highlight.
0: My highlight this week was I got a thank you card from one of my patients and it doesn't happen very often and when it does happen it's always really um, just gratifying to be thanked when it's normally a, a transactional kind of service. So it's nice to, to, to be told, you know, you're doing a good job. Bit of a pat on the back. I would like to know a little bit about each of your various organisations and what your role is in that organisation and what they do for doctors and doctors wellbeing. Would you like to start, Meredith?
2: The Medical Benevolent Association of New South Wales provides some financial assistance to doctors and their families in need, and also some longer-term counselling support. So I guess we're at probably at the other end of the the wellness scale, but what, what our main aim is to keep people afloat through periods of distress of illness of whatever is happening for them and hopefully help them to get back to work as soon as we possibly can so yeah we we provide as I said that financial assistance which is often quite short term and it is urgent, emergency assistance and then we also provide ongoing support and I guess a case management approach to what else can we do that might help you to get back on your feet sooner than you might otherwise So that, in a nutshell, is what we do. We're an organisation that is um, completely independent. So we're not part of the Benevolent Society. We're um, an independent charity and we're funded by donations from doctors only. So the money that comes in to the organisation by donation from doctors and medical groups is money that goes straight back out again to perhaps pay someone's rent, cover their electricity bill, Um, private health insurance, those sorts of things, to try and keep people afloat until they're able to take over again. Very much in a nutshell. We employ, there's a social worker, which is me, (laughs) and then we have a finance officer. We're a very lean organisation. And we have um, a a council, we're called a council of, of directors who um, oversee the organisation and work with me particularly to provide whatever help a doctor needs, whatever we can do to get them, as I said, back on their feet.
1: That's fantastic. I sort of knew that, that you existed, but I suppose I didn't really know, understand the difference from the Benevolent Society and what that might mean and how it all you know, played in together. So it's sort of great to know that there is that ability to call on, have someone to call on when you know a colleague might be struggling for all sorts of reasons.
2: And exactly right, Charlotte, and and often we do get calls from doctors saying I'm quite concerned about a colleague and I'm not entirely sure what I can do to help and I'm not ens- entirely sure where they where, where I can direct them to go for help. So we're really happy to provide the support directly to the doctor but to provide that support independently as well about what is around, what can we do, what can other organisations do and then to spend some time talking with that doctor about how they might raise their concerns because that's something that people are often quite reluctant to say to a colleague, I don't think you're doing so well. And so we, we will often spend quite some time talking with that doctor about how they might gently and tactfully raise their concerns with that doctor and and see them through to, to getting some support.
0: So how would a doctor normally come in contact with your society?
2: Good question, lots of different ways. often people will ring often the um, a colleague will ring as I've said, and will say, you know do you think this might be something that you might be able to help with and then the doctor themselves or their family member, and I have to say it isn't just a doctor. So if a doctor has passed away or if there's been something else go on in the family that's that meant that the doctor's unwilling to ring us and a family member would like to ring us, then they're most welcome to. And we will support the families of doctors, particularly if a doctor has died, we'll, we'll stay in contact with them and do what we can do to help them get back on their feet. But they ring us. We've got um, a website and people from time to time contact us through our website. Side. But primarily people ring us and they often ring us on the advice of a colleague, on the advice of an employer, indemnity insurers will often refer people on, GPs, psychiatrists, um, all sorts of people. We try and and be out there as much as we can so that people know that we exist. But I know that there's a huge part of medicine that doesn't know that this support is there and is available and there's another whole pocket of medicine that's really anxious about putting their hand out and asking for help, and we would like to do whatever we can to try and break that down. To try and say, look, we're here. It's no big deal. If you need something, ask and ask early. Don't wait till it's a real crisis at the end. So yeah, the contact us by phone, contact us by email. They're they're the two main ways that people ring us. But often on the advice of or on the referral of, often people will ring us and say, would you ring this doctor and tell them that you exist? And that's not something that we're comfortable doing. But if that doctor's unwilling to make the call, and I understand that that's a very difficult thing is to make that first call to say, I need help. With their permission, we will initiate that call.
0: Yeah, so I guess it's a just a case by case basis of how you negotiate the contact.
2: Yep, exactly. Yeah. And and if if making that phone call is going to be the barrier to that doctor getting some help, then we'll do what we can to get over that. Um, but at some point, we do need to actually have a chat. <laughs> And once we make contact with a the doctor, then we start to talk with them about what else they might need and how they got themselves to the position that they're in. So how well are they supported in other areas? Is, is there a job for them to go to? Are they getting any leave? Are they getting paid? Can they go back? Is work supportive? What's their family like? What's happening for them there? And we try and mobilise support, not just financial support. We don't want to just give people money. We want to try and mobilise all the different aspects of support and assistance that we can have they got a GP do they like that GP do they talk to that GP will they go have they got if they need a psychiatrist Um, if they haven't where might they go to find one Um, so we try and look at not just the financial stuff and not just say here have some money we try and say what else can we do because it's really important for us that um that you get back on your feet as soon as you possibly can and that things don't get worse, that things actually start to pick up from your contact with us.
0: From looking at your website, I can see that you're the first point of contact that someone might have with the Medical Benevolent Society of New South Wales.
2: Yeah, so that that's most certainly because we know that, there can be some barriers to if you have to call and then you have to call and then you have to call. So we would much prefer that the first time somebody rings, they get to speak to the person who's going to be able to provide some assistance.
0: And I imagine there's a lot of shame and guilt associated with reaching out for assistance, particularly financial. You know, there's this expectation, speaking from personal and personally, there's an expectation that as a doctor, you have all of your insurances and income protections and finances in place, and we earn a decent income. So why would we ever need financial assistance? So I guess when when you get to that point where you do really need some help, there can be a lot of barriers to trying to reach out for that. How do you feel as though the benevolent society is able to overcome those barriers for people?
2: It's really important that mention income protection insurance because I guess that's something that really concerns us is the fact that people sometimes take up our income protection insurance without reading the fine print and without reading the policy and we often have people who come to us saying I need help I've got this income protection insurance policy and I can't access it there's something about either whatever that health concern is for them The other thing that's difficult about some of the income protection insurance policies is the length of time, the waiting period. Often people are in in a bit of a pickle by the time they wait that time out. So yes, there is a huge amount of shame and I don't know um, actually how we overcome that in lots of ways other than to say you're not the only person that we help and we actually get A lot of referrals from doctors and we only cover New South Wales and the ACT. We're busy all of the time and we often occasionally do get to the point where we have to say no, our financial resources won't stretch as far as the demand is. So uh, yeah, I guess I don't know how you overcome that shame. To my way of thinking, the more we talk about doctors' wellbeing and the more that we talk about the fact that bad things can happen to doctors that just because you are a doctor doesn't mean that the same things that happen to everybody else go on in your life. The more we have those sorts of conversations, then I think the more willing people will be to put their hand up and say, I'm actually struggling right now. And I could use a hand and that doesn't have to be financial that probably half of the people that contact us need financial assistance. The other half are doctors who are struggling for all sorts of other reasons perhaps stuff is going on at work that's not great Um, perhaps stuff is going on at home that's not great and so they're, they're doctors who will reach out to us and say I just need a little bit of support I'm doing well for money but I do need that um I do need some ongoing low-key support. We don't provide any treatment. Um, if if there's a concern that somebody might need some treatment, then we would refer on. We most certainly don't provide any treatment. We provide low-key ongoing support, an opportunity to talk about some things in a safe environment that you might not feel comfortable talking about in other places. So overcoming shame, I don't know. The more we talk about it, I think the better and the easier it is. And the more that people say, I actually asked asked the Medical Benevolent Association for some help and I got some help and it made a difference and look at me and I'm back at work. You know, those sorts of stories, I think, help people to feel more comfortable and less embarrassed and less ashamed about what's happening for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of shame in silence.
2: I think there is, and people are often quite surprised when they do make that phone call. They're often quite surprised at the relief that you get. It's quite interesting, and I reflect on this often to the council who are the the board of the Medical Benevolent Association. I often hear from doctors, just the fact that you're there and just the fact that you would help me if I needed to is enough and I'm going to be okay and I'm going to get it together because I know that if I can't, somebody's standing behind me. So it's, it's quite an interesting thing to hear from doctors that I know you're there, I know you would help me and that's enough to know that my colleagues are concerned for me and that my colleagues care and that my colleagues have donated funds so that I will be okay. So, it, yeah, that's an interesting, interesting part of, of the work that we do. Yeah,
1: I, I was actually wondering if it was a good opportunity to find out how the work that Meredith does intersects with Sarah, and just sort of sort of building on that conversation, if I might.
0: Yeah, so could we start with Sarah? You talking a little bit about the work that the Doctor's Health Advisory Service does, your and your role in that, and then how they, the two organisations, link together in any way.
3: So I work for the Doctors' Health Advisory Service. Um, We look after doctors, dentists, vets uh, and students in each of those professions in both New South Wales and ACT. We're an advisory and support service that provides a 24-hour phone line, um, as I said, for doctors, dentists, vets and students. And like the Medical Benevolent Association, our service is also available to the families of these groups to call if they're concerned about their Family member. We're an independent, and we're a confidential service. Uh, we are. We do have some funding from the Medical Council, actually, via doctors' registrations, but we are completely independent. All of our information is confidential, so people can feel uh, confident that any time they talk with us, uh, it's on a confidential basis. Uh, Similar to the Medical Benevolent Association, our main point of contact is also phone. As I said, we run a phone service. We have an answering service, which is a bit different to the Medical Benevolent Association, but because we are 24 hours a day, callers can call us via our phone service. Their call will be answered by a trained professional. They're then asked to leave a message, and then their call is returned. Uh, callers can actually just leave a phone number. They don't need to leave any identifying details. And actually it's really important to point out that you can call us and never give us any identifying details. I've had callers who I've spoken to a number of times and I've never actually known their name, where they worked. Uh, I usually know what they do uh, because it comes out in a conversation, but no identifying data. And we're very happy to to speak with a doctor uh, in that capacity. And often that gives people more confidence to call. Um, and for, for those doctors that do choose to uh, identify themselves, please be reassured of confidentiality. But, but if it is an issue for uh, any listeners, we, we welcome them to call uh, without any identifying information.
1: So do you have a sort of numbers of, of how many doctors access it in terms of how many doctors we have altogether, and the numbers and the percentage and do you think that it's being utilised enough? Um, In other words, are there people who might use it if they knew about it more and we just need to sort of get them to understand what it's the the role of it is?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say we're definitely an underutilised service. I think there's about 14,000 doctors in New South Wales and we probably get about 600 calls a year, which is not very many. Um, We get at least one or two calls a day but that's certainly not a lot given the uh, numbers in New South Wales and I'd love to say that that was because everyone was doing well and, and happy and healthy but I think we know that there are there are many doctors uh, that are struggling um, and could benefit from, from calling an organisation like the Doctors Health Advisory Service or the Medical Benevolent Association. It is something that we often question, why don't people know about us? We try and get out to all the unis, we advertise. We're we're happy to come and give talks. Um, And every time I see a doctor, I always ask them whether they know about us. And actually, most people have heard of us. I just don't know if they realise what we actually do or that we are someone they can call. So it is something that we're really focusing on, on advertising more and and getting our numbers up. We welcome the calls.
0: And what's your role in the DHAS?
3: So I am a social worker. Um, i my background's in healthcare, so I've always worked in this space. Um, and I'm also the DHAS executive officer. Like uh, the MBA, we're a very small organisation. Uh, we have a medical director, a social worker um, and some admin support. But, yeah, I do a bit of everything, which is a wonderful thing within the organisation.
0: So when someone rings the DHAS helpline, what would happen after that point?
3: So when they first ring, they will call an answering service and callers are asked to leave a message. And as I said, no identifying data is required. They will be asked whether their call is urgent or whether the caller is happy for a call back within 48 hours. Uh, even for the callers who ask for the 48 hour call, they will usually get a call back within 24 hours. Uh, and if it's urgent, we will do our best to call back as soon as possible. It's really important that people know we're not an emergency service or a crisis service. So if things are that serious, then the caller would be encouraged to call triple zero or lifeline and then once that call has been made a message will be sent to our our team um, which includes uh, me and also our medical director and then we have a a, a number of other staff who assist us everyone who returns a call is either a social worker a GP or a psychiatrist with a specialized interest in doctor's health Uh, and they're they're wonderful the people who who return the calls are are
1: excellent. I'm again interested in if we're looking at say the numbers of doctors who do successfully commit suicide and of those are there any that have actually contacted the doctor's advisory service?
3: Because our service is confidential and most doctors don't leave a name it would be really difficult for me to answer that question uh, they may have I I would hate to think that they did uh, and then went on to to end their life. Uh, But I I can't be sure with that question. But we certainly would encourage a doctor who is feeling suicidal to call us. As I said, we're not a crisis service, but if people are having self-harm worries, we would be so happy to talk to them. Uh, We would refer them on and and do our best to get them the
1: help that they need. Yeah, that sort of confidentiality thing is so important, isn't it? Because we know that a lot of doctors feel silly accessing health services because they feel like they should know what to do I mean I had this conversation just in my own practice this last week as we were talking about having your own GP and going and the importance and you know how it is awkward sometimes when you got an agenda of things you want to talk about but you don't know whether you have permission to actually talk about them because are you really a patient when you're also a doctor and when do you have permission to really be a patient but still not to feel silly about it because you feel like you should be able to manage those issues anyway?
3: That Yeah, that's such a good point. One of the other roles we pay, play, the DHS plays, is in education. So we run caring for colleagues workshops and the aim of those are to upskill doctors to be better at caring for their colleagues. So it's mostly attended by GPs, but we have had specialists come as well. And we really discuss that role of the patient and the doctor. And the reality is when you go in as a doctor, as a patient, you're really both because you can't take away your medical knowledge. So we work with doctors, uh, we workshop with doctors, how to be a doctor to a patient and how to be a patient to a doctor. And it sounds silly that a doctor might not know how to do that. But but they don't. Um, and so often, as you said, people choose not to go because it's easier to avoid it. It's very hard being vulnerable uh, particularly in uh, regional and and smaller towns where you probably know all the doctors they're your colleagues you have to see them at work every day and it's really difficult to then go in and talk about some really personal stuff and you don't want the person to know that that you're then going to see in the in the corridor at work the next day so that
1: makes it extra hard. Can I tell you that's hard in the city as well?
3: Oh uh, no you're right you're right no that is true and and we get people what probably one of the biggest reasons people call us is looking for a GP uh, they're looking for a GP that they know uh, is happy to talk to another doctor and when I first started at dhs i didn't I hadn't dawned on me that a, a GP wouldn't Feel confident seeing other doctors or a doctor wouldn't feel confident that a GP could see them but I've, you know I've realised that people really want to make sure that they're going to see a doctor who's happy to see a doctor uh, one of the things that that comes in that is the issue with mandatory reporting uh, there's a lot of confusion around the requirements of a doctor to report people are fearful of disclosing any information in case they are reported so that's another thing we talk about uh, in our workshops
0: we did a workshop like this at our New South Wales and ACT Wellbeing Weekend in March, um, who is how we got in touch with you. Louise Stone did a bit of the work for us on that. And it was very enlightening to know that everybody has the same fears and concerns as everybody else and also that our, our patients who aren't doctors have the same fears and concerns. And it, it's, it kind of helps to promote this culture of compassion amongst people our colleagues but also for our patients as well and I thought it was really interesting that you said one of the main reasons that people ring you is to find a GP and I wonder is there some work that the DHAS or the Medical Benevolent Society are doing to kind of create a bit of a map or a network because I know that the AMA has kind of been trying to collate a list and, of GPs or, who are happy to see other doctors, but I've never really been able to find it, even though I have put my name on it. Uh, so it's, it's on their website. Yeah. It's
3: actually quite easy to, to access. But we do have a list as well, but we also refer people to the AMA's list because it's, it's bigger than ours.
0: Uh-huh. Um, okay,
3: but, yeah, it's under the membership tag on the AMA website. And people who are not members of the AMA can access that list too. It's accessible by everybody.
0: AMA New South Wales AMA National? AMA New South uh-huh. Wales. AMA yeah, New okay. Wales.
3: So it's just New South Wales GPs on that list.
0: Yep, I've often found that difficult because I'm not sure where which website is for what and where the list is. Yeah, so that's really useful. Thank you.
2: Yeah, no, definitely on the AMA New South Wales website. And it's a, it's arranged under location, so you can click on a location and find the names of GPs who work in your area. So it's quite a good quite a good tab.
3: I think the important thing to remember, like, like with anyone, if you get referred to a, a doctor or a psychologist that someone may love, you may go and see them and they might not be the right person for you, which is really hard when you've reached out and made that effort. But I think it's important to know that you may go and see someone and you may walk out thinking, oh, that wasn't the right person for me please try again. It, it's certainly worthwhile. Unfortunately, you know, we, not every doctor is right for every person. So it's worthwhile, you know, if you don't have a great appointment with someone,
1: try and, try another one.
0: That goes for everyone, really?
3: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and every practitioner. I mean, I tell my patients that all the time. You need to have someone that you feel you can actually relate to.
3: And when we, we don't recommend GPs because for exactly that reason, I don't know that that GP would sh- suit you, Charlotte, and your needs, but we, what we do is let you know of people who we know are happy to see doctors and then that independent relationship builds from there.
0: So we can share that link on the show notes and there's also a tab where you can register if you would like to be on the list.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, certainly quite a lot of the doctors in my practice and myself are on that list and it is sort of one of those things where we're mindful at our practice that we do get quite a lot of um, both GPs and specialists coming to our practice. And it's such a privilege to be able to look after your colleagues. And it allows you to actually, I, I think, sort of practice at that sort of different level and understand what it is like to be to be the, the, the doctor patient as well. And um, And it is, it's such a privilege to be able to be caring for our colleagues in a respectful and appropriate way.
0: Can I ask how your two organisations work together?
1: That's a really good question. We actually work
3: very well together. Uh, There is a lot of similarity in our our organisations, what someone may call us or they could call the, uh, the MBA and uh, one of the big differences is that the MBA provide financial assistance which DHAS do not as I said our organisations get along really well so there's no territorial uh, issues between us so I guess what, what I would say is call whichever organisation you think is the right one for you at the time Meredith and I refer to each other uh, Meredith might like, might like to add some more on that
2: yeah no I agree whichever is the point of contact to get some support that suits you then then by all means try it and and if we're not the right organisation and DHA SEs then will most certainly facilitate contact there and likewise back and forth with Sarah. We try and work together as much as we can on some of the recurring themes that the two organisations hear from doctors and work out how we can best address some of the things that we start to identify within the organisations that might be issues that are, are coming as big issues for lots of doctors. We, we do try and work together yeah
0: such as
3: one of the things that we've been uh, looking at is a return to work uh, doctors who take extended leave uh, often it's been as a result of uh, some form of suspension or uh, extended illness it may be due to a physical or, or mental health illness um, it's actually quite difficult to get back to work sometimes doctors have let their registration lapse uh, or they've been just out of the workforce long enough that It's not just as easy as getting a job. So we've been working together um, along with the AMA and some of the MDOs to to try and put together a document to support sort of a flowchart to support doctors in returning to work. Um, It's a work in progress. It's actually proving we have realised by doing that how difficult that process really is. It's not straightforward at all. So that's one of the themes.
1: That actual issue is a really interesting one because... There's a lot of stuff around it, not only the bureaucracy and the red tape and the increasing requirements for how much you CPD and clinical practice you have to do for each of the different specialties, but also just that anxiety that prevents people from feeling like that they can go back into practice because that they're afraid of the looming gaps that have arisen um, in that time away because we know there's just so much that's happening all the time in the medical field.
2: I think that one of the things that, that's proven to be a little bit difficult that would be marvellous if there was a lot more conversation about is what's the difference between AHPRA? What does the medical board do that AHPRA doesn't do? And what does the medical council do that neither of those two organisations do? And how does information go back and forth? And what happens for doctors along the path is certainly something that we've struggled to understand. And I think doctors have struggled to understand it and are very, very fearful of what those organisations do and and what impact they can have on a return to work. So yeah, more conversation and discussion about the roles of the organisations, I think would make a huge difference.
1: But there's also colleges in there.
2: Absolutely, yes.
1: Because each of the different colleges also have their different requirements that are sort of, you know, obviously sit into the ARPRA thing, but are sort of often a, a quite complicated conversation that the college specifically has its own sort of, things that it will ask of their of their doctors
2: absolutely and I must say that the um, RACGP has a really great little return to work plan on its website that I often refer people to even when they're not GPs I often say go and have a look at that because it's a really nice little structure about what you might need to do and what you might need to think about before you even start to think about getting back to works yeah and I know that there is one on the APRA website as well
1: It's a bit like um, planning a discharge, can I say. I actually like to say that you should be planning for the discharge on the admission of the patient. And in the same way for returning to work, it's like if you're leaving work for any reason, you should be sort of noting all the things that you need to do for planning for your return to work at the same time. Were you a social worker in a previous life, Charlotte? That sounds fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but isn't isn't there sort of a whole lot of social work built into being a GP? Oh, absolutely. Um, we just a GP sort of really sometimes do think that we 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 sort of sort of semi social workers without ever having the degree qualification that you guys get. Yeah, absolutely and and you guys do an amazing job at it.
0: I'm just going to wrap up because I have another <laughs> meeting that I've got to go to and I wanted to express how thankful we are to have you on to basically spread the word that these organisations exist. And before we close out with our resource of the week, I just wanted to ask both of you whether... Sarah, you said you mentioned that there's workshops that the DHAS runs and I also see that there's a conference that you run. I was wondering if there's other ways that doctors can get in touch apart from making the phone call that gets them involved with the service in any way or, or being aware of what's, what's out there for them.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So we, like Meredith, ha- uh, have a website and there's a, an email link there so they're welcome to get in touch with us that way. We would love for... Uh, uh, GP clinics, or hospitals, or any organisation actually that has doctors, if they would like us to come out, we're very happy to come out and talk, come out and present. Uh, we go and talk to med students. We're happy to come and work, uh, run workshops. we um,
2: yeah. I agree with you, Sarah. And the Medical Benevolent Association and the Doctors' Health Advisory Service often work together with those workshops, and 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 are really happy to to provide whatever way of being in contact with people in the workplace that we can. So we're happy to come and speak about our work. We are very happy to run uh, workshops, but yeah, and we we will most often run those together. So
3: Uh, I think it's important to let people know that often people don't know why they should call us, what what reasons that they, they may have to call. And i, I just like to stress it really, they can call for any reason. Um, it doesn't have to be about something going on in medicine. It can be about personal issues, family troubles. Um, often it is around stress in the workplace or general stress and anxiety. Uh, students call us about exam stress. Um, people call us about issues pertaining to alcohol or substance misuse. There's really no wrong reason to call us. If we're not the right people, when you call, we'll direct you to who the right person is. So, and and like the MBA, people are welcome to call us if they're concerned about a colleague or a partner. Uh, we're, we're happy to run through it, and we find often often one call will just get the person through to the next stage Uh, we do often have follow-up calls with people but often just having a conversation uh, and and working it through with someone in a confidential way is enough to just move forward um, and know how to take that next step mental health is a big reason people calls um, as we all know the figures are one in four in the community um, of suffering from some form of mental health that's no different for doctors so we just want people to call
2: and and I'll agree with Sarah, there's no right or wrong reason for ringing us. If something's making you feel a bit uncomfortable, we'd really like to know about it. And we'd really like to know about it sooner, because I guess, if things are not attended to, they tend to get bigger, and other things tend to go wrong. So... While a worry can be just a worry, it can turn into a mistake at work. A mistake at work can turn into some concerns about your practice overall, which can have an effect on your financial well being, your family, all of those sorts of things. So we would really encourage people, both organisations, to ring when it feels like it's just a bit anxious or a bit uncomfortable. Don't wait till it's an absolute disaster. Please call us early. And if we're not the right people, no problem, but if we are, then we'd be more than happy to provide whatever help we can.
3: I was going to say, and, and please know you can call us when things are an absolute disaster as well, but we, we accept every end of the spectrum.
2: <laughs> I should have said that too, Sarah. Any end of the spectrum, please call us.
0: <laughs> and I, I guess what's, what a highlight was for me in terms of hearing about the organisations is that even if you aren't the inverted commas right purple to get in touch with you guys will probably know who is the more right person to connect somebody with and the more if you have frequent calls about similar things there's an an advocacy process where you start working with organizations to address an underlying continual problem that's coming up and so by not calling and, and not making organisations like yourselves aware about certain issues, then it means that the culture of certain things in our profession can continue to be an issue.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with that, and and we do see themes, and that it does it does drive our work and, and drive issues. And Absolutely.
0: So on that note, and I'm going to make it a little bit difficult for you because I'm already going to share your respective organizations websites on our show notes what are your clinical resources or or resources of the the week for our listeners
2: my resource is not a clinical resource and it's probably one that lots of people have heard about and have actually used but it's a, um, a an app called headgear it's something that has a different approach rather than talking about mental illness. It talks about how to remain mentally well. It has a mood gauge on it, a toolbox. It has a 30-day challenge. It was set up by Beyond Blue and Black Dog and a couple of other organisations. And it it allows you to check in each day. It allows you to check in when you can. But it's something that has that very different approach that says, don't wait till you're not well because that's what we do about our physical health. We we try and stay on top of our physical health, but we often don't attend to our mental health. So this is one that gives you the opportunity to start to look at your mental health as a health before it becomes an ill health. But it's an app and it's it's available on the App Store and it's called Headgear.
0: Awesome. And Sarah?
2: So mine's also not a clinical one. Um,
3: something we kept noticing was that we there was a theme amongst callers uh, who – had done their training, loved medicine, but didn't necessarily want to stay in a traditional medical path, but felt that they couldn't walk away from medicine because of the commitment that they'd had to it. So last year, Meredith and I discovered the Creative Careers in Medicine group. Um, they ran their inaugural conference last year and they're holding one another one this year. Um, so their mission is to equip clinical professionals with the courage, confidence and skills to take their career on a u- unique path, um, to u- utilise their other skills, and and their expertise to be fulfilled and satisfied in their career. What I really want people to know is that medicine is amazing but you don't have to go down a traditional path or maybe you're in a traditional path but you want to do something else in conjunction with that. There's lots of opportunities to use the amazing skills that you've you've learned in medicine at university outside of the traditional roles. So the Creative Careers in Medicine Conference is on the Gold Coast. I'm not affiliated with it at all. I just think it's an amazing uh, organisation. It's being held in August on the 3rd and 4th uh, on the Gold Coast. And if you can't attend, just have a look at their website. It's just great to know that there's other opportunities outside the clinical ones.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, I'm going to pop in there, Ash, because mine is ridiculously similar, Sarah. Um, my thing it was bringing about the Creative Doctors group. So there's a group called Creative Doctors Australia and they – basically uh, encourage doctors to have fun with their creativity and they actually sort of run regular sort of soirée type things and their next soirée is actually Thursday the 15th of August um, and that's in Marrickville in Sydney but if you just go to the creative doctors australia at gmail.com and email them there and you can find out a little bit more about them they actually do have a website oh it's a blog Blogspot, which is, again, the creativedoctorsaustralia.blogspot.com. But, you know, they encourage anything, instruments, stand-up, dancing, magic, reading a poem, you know, whatever, just basically going and having fun. and Or if you don't want to do it, just go and watch it and have a laugh and enjoy yourself.
0: Awesome. So on a completely different note, um, my resource of the week is the National Centre for Immunisation Research and Surveillance website. I actually find this more helpful in terms of information about vaccinations that's specific to me as a health professional but also some really good fact sheets to give to patients. And my understanding is these are the guys who do a lot of the research and then provide the data and suggestions regarding the schedules in Australia. And so the fact sheets and the clinical resources are really, really useful and it's also useful in a season like ours they'll have an influenza fact sheet up or if you forget about all the different types of meningococcal vaccinations and which ones are when and which ones on the schedule and which ones are extra then all of that sort of stuff's on there and it's got a huge amount of detail for for people who want to read a bit more about immunizations um, before they go ahead with it so I, i really like that
1: awesome thanks ash And thanks, Sarah and Meredith, for a really, really interesting discussion and I think opening up some topics that are worth pursuing a little bit further, Ash, in maybe some other podcasts and looking at not, you know, the ways that we sort of need to help ourselves in a number of aspects of our lives.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So here's to another podcast and here's to go and have a good week, everybody. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, bye.